it's the same story. He didn't want to hire me. And um, again, that um, Irish Catholic girl from the East Coast, you just fight and you fight and you fight and you fight. And some you win, some you lose. And um, he said, you know, I don't want a female. Uh, how am I going to recruit? What's happening? I said, you know what? I said, coach, it's not the first time I've heard it. Um, you know, you're not hurting your feelings by saying that. It's not the first time I heard it, but I know I can do your job. Welcome to KC's Conversations, a podcast designed to highlight and build connections with female strength and conditioning coaches. I'm your host, Caitlin Cunningham. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of KC's Conversations. Today, I'm joined by Andrea Hooty. She's the Assistant Athletic Director of Sports Performance at the University of Kansas. Hootie has been in the field for many years, or as you'll hear her claim in this episode, she's ancient. She has been named the National College Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year by the NSCA. Always doing great things. I'm honored to have her as my first guest, so let's jump right in. Hootie, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Cunningham, I am super excited to be here with you. I can't stand it. You can't. That is so wonderful. Good for you for doing this, though. I'm proud of you. Well, thanks. Uh, Hopefully we can get tons of females to be able to share their experiences and learn from one another. Don't feel like it happens enough. So let's make a change. Sounds good. I would say, though, that a lot of females think that they're in this alone. But I would tell you a lot of the feelings that they feel, the same ones that males share, women just share it. Guys don't. You're so smart. Not really. Just um, I, I'm a dinosaur these days, so I have a lot of experience. <laughs> You've been around the block. <laughs> All right, let's start this bad boy out with what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for spending my time with you here. I mean, the connections and the relationships that I've made over the last are, um, you know, pretty amazing. Uh, there's like... A lot of people in a coaching tree, a large coaching tree that I'm a part of that um, I love to stay connected with. And that tree is always growing to create more. So I, I think if we can take care of each other as coaches, it's a great thing. Well, you'll be happy to know that um, probably at least five thus far all have you as a internship coordinator, a fellow colleague in the field that I am going to have on as guests. So. Oh. Well, there we go. You're starting your own little tree. Well, no, I don't know. I'm just a part of yours. It's all good. <laughs> all right. So give us a little background, your path, getting where you are now. My path. <clears throat> um, uh, youngest, uh, youngest of five children in an Irish Catholic family on the East Coast, always playing catch up um, and competing and probably overworking to keep up with my older siblings and um, overdoing stuff <laughs> is, had been my nature. I try not to do that anymore. Um, but um, yeah, just a, a competitive athlete and training with my older brothers and sisters who played in college and then um, having some pretty cool role models. My, my first strength coach in college was Frank Costello, who was a track coach turned strength and conditioning coach for football at Maryland. And um, he was a big plyometric guy, and I was a pretty good jumper back, you know, when I was 14. So 
I had a love of that and then just started studying stretch shortening cycles and things like that. Nice. Do you have any female strength and conditioning coaches that you aspired to be when you first got into the field or was it all primarily men? Um, there were a couple, um, Meg, uh, Meg Stone. Um, and then, uh, there was a woman at Rice that was friends with my mentor at the time, Jerry Martin. Um, I can't remember her name and I am blanking on it and I feel really bad. Uh, Beth Stringham. Okay. She, a, she were a few of us, yeah. you know, uh, Rochelle Ellsworth at Texas A&M. We were kind of the same age. So we were growing up together. Nice. Very nice. Okay. You wrote a book. Tried to. Power positions tried to get out of town. Um, what led you to writing the book? Uh, honestly, um, everybody who asked me to write a program for them, you know, was, uh, you know, now I don't have to do that. Now they can buy the book or I can send it to them or whatever. But um, it's hard to just blindly write a program for somebody knowing that, you know, we're at a point where we call uh, what we do exercise prescriptions because you can make a break a healthy athlete based on the exercises you give them. Just because they're good at something doesn't mean you do more of it. You know, so um, I tried to build the most basic programs um, so that people understand the concepts of it, not necessarily what's the program, what the programs are, you know. Right. Look at it, take exercises, change and manipulate them into what they need, not necessarily just a cut and dry. Here's what it is. Yeah, it's I feel like it's a book about concepts and then people can take that for what it's worth. But hopefully they did that. I don't know. You know, sometimes you see, sometimes you hear it work, and then sometimes you're like, whoa, what? No, that's not what I meant. That was not what I intended by that. <laughs> I know, right? Story of my life. <laughs> um, within the book, you have a foreword from Bill Self talking about him hiring you and mm-hmm. that process. And for our listeners, quite simply, Lou Perkins, the AD at the time, said, Bill, you need to give uh, Andrea a shot, at least an interview, and see where things go. So we hear Bill Self's side of the story. What's your side, sitting in the uh, the chair across from him and going through all of that? It's the same story. He didn't want to hire me. And, um, again, being that um, Irish Catholic girl from the East Coast, you just fight, and you fight, and you fight, and you fight. And... Some you win, some you lose. And um, he said, you know, I don't want a female. Uh, How am I going to recruit? What's happening? I said, you know what? I said, coach, it's not the first time I've heard it. Um, You know, you're not hurting your feelings by saying that. It's not the first time I heard it, but I know I can do your job. And uh, I did get a chance. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, that was back in the day where, gosh, it was like early 2000 something that I really flopped on an interview one time and I was like gosh how can I prepare for a phone interview again in the future so I developed a portfolio he laughed at me and I'm like okay well that's not the first time I've been laughed at either (laughs) 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 so I was laughed at and I was told that no we don't want you and again I'd heard those things before so it didn't matter sure I, I know who I am yeah what advice would you offer for other women in a similar position looking to work with the men's team or a football program or just any interview in general? Um, you know, uh, 
I, I was fortunate, so fortunate to be around some really world-class people and coaches, Hall of Fame coaches, researchers and things like that. But I feel like my greatest experience was being in the weight room with Jerry Martin and UConn women's basketball. And it was cutthroat. It was, if you didn't do it, you didn't survive. And it was survival every freaking day. But then once it became from survival to, um, you know, you rising above and leading that and being a part of something that, you know, is bigger than you and knowing how intensely you have to work and how much you have to compete and how much you have to practice and how much everybody prepared to do what they did. A lot of people talk about championship cultures, but until you're part of one and like just sit there and thrive in it and, and know that hall of fame coaches are hard to work for and have easy to work with all the time. And just taking those challenges on a daily basis and, and thriving in them. I think it's not easy. It's not easy for anyone. Sure. <laughs> I do remember on during my internship, I had a interview with Scott Caulfield and his staff up at the NSCA. And I was nervous. I was a nervous wreck. And he called you and gave you that feedback. And you were like, all right, Cunningham, you're going to sit down. You're going to write down all the questions that they asked you on that interview. And then you're going to answer them and put them in PowerPoint slides and you're going to have them in front of you for your next interview so that there are no surprises. And if there are, then at least you can, you'll have some frame of reference to go off of for your next interview. So thank you for that. And hopefully all of our listeners will take that as well. You learn from your failures, right? Absolutely. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the stuff I learned when I was at Kansas. That's for sure. Hopefully you didn't fail too much. You didn't. You're sitting right there, right? Well, absolutely. I, I got you on uh, on this podcast, so I must have not done too bad. <laughs> so leading into that, uh, enjoy the quote, failure isn't fatal, it's feedback. So can you give us an example of something that fits that, that context within that quote? Yeah, every day we fail. You know, every day uh, we would do something different. I think as long as you reflect and, and get better and... Um, understand that it is feedback not nobody's perfect and honestly I've gotten good at failing and I've gotten good at overcoming too though you know you just can't you can't just sit in it you can't and um yeah I mean that, that that was a great example on that interview that I totally failed on um, that I was like, okay, well, what do I need to do to be, be, be prepared next time? And that was to develop a portfolio so that my answers were in front of me. Right. So now anytime, you know, you hear of a, a, an interview or you're giving an interview and a great question comes up, we put it in that portfolio. Yep. You know? um, communication, we fail at communication every day. Um, how people perceive your actions and what your actual intent is, is it might be on two different pages, you know, so... Um, I always say, no matter what we do, if you over, if you think you're over communicating, it's not enough because again, I don't know where people are coming from. People don't know where I'm coming from. And, um, I, I think communication, as long as we try to communicate as much as we can with the good intent, um, I think we're good, but everybody fails on communication. Absolutely. People fail with communication with their spouses. Amen to that. You know, so you're like, all right, well, how can you make perfect communication at work? You can't. No. So I think as long as people understand that it's a both way, uh, 
uh, thing that could happen that go wrong, I think we're all right as long as it gets corrected. Sure. Own your mistakes and then move on with them. And, but, be, but be forgiving to other people too, though. Be forgiving to other people if they don't communicate the way you want them to. Absolutely. They can't do it rep- repeatedly. <laughs> you, know? you only get a few chances. <laughs> All right. Um, so give us a book that's positively shaped you. Um, right now, I am reading Harvard, uh, Harvard, Harvard Business Review's 10 Must Reads on Leadership. Oh. It's awesome. Um, it, you know, it explains the difference between uh, management and leadership and um, transformational transactional leadership. I think as long as you understand where people are coming from or try to understand where they're coming from. Um, yeah, I think that um, that, what that kind of leader do you see yourself as? Um, I'm more to get where they want to go. Um, it's not transactional, but do I have transactional people in my life? Absolutely. So I lean towards a transformational, but not everybody's like that. So uh, again, I do have transactional ones that you just got to know who you're dealing with. Do you, when hiring people on your staff, do you look for other types of leaders so that you guys all bring different strengths to the table or are you looking? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want anybody that repeats what I say. Yeah. I want to learn from somebody, you know, cause I only have my experience and other people have their own experiences. So, um, I don't want it to be transactional in here by any means transformational. You know, you do get to a point though, sometimes where it is transactional, which is fine. You just need to understand that. But, um, no, I want people that are different from me. Absolutely. All right. Share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Well, see, that depends on what somebody finds interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know, man. I'm like an open book. I, um, I tend, uh, um, something, uh, about the surgery you just had. That might oh, be yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You just threw me a oh, song. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I got your back. Um, I think that I've gotten to where I've gotten in in this field because I don't want people to suffer the consequences of overworking like I did. Sure. Um, so I just had my knee replaced at 46 years and um, I was hurting. I was hurting really bad. I had had at least six other knee surgeries that I can remember. I've had two shoulder surgeries because you know what? I was going to do it more. I was going to do it better than everybody. And I was going to force it right? versus figuring out what you're good at and sticking with that. I was just, you know, um, so yeah, I've had, I've had a bunch of surgeries and was I a good athlete? Yeah. Uh, was I strong? Yeah, but did I need that? Probably not in all those situations. So, all right, a call to action for female strength and conditioning coaches or the profession in general. So, something that our listeners can do after they hear our podcast. Something they can go do. Um, I think you know one of the reasons that I'm in this profession too is that I've had some really cool mentors and some really professional people in my life. And the call to action is just don't sit in your office, go sell your program, sell what you're doing to not just the athletes. They just don't tell them what to do, sell it 
and they should feel better. Sell it to the coaches, um, sell it to the admin, because I feel like people, you know, administrators look at us, oh, they just lift weights. Well, that's the last thing that I do, you know, and that's, that's, yeah, we lift, but gosh, my call to action is just don't lift weights, do other things. <laughs> Love it. Last but not least, how can those listening contact you or reach you? Social media? Yeah, no, social media, I'm terrible. I'm Again, I'm a dinosaur in this this industry, so social media. Handwritten letters, is that, is that how they yeah, show that? You never know who to trust, though, social media-wise. You yeah. know, you respond to somebody and something not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, so email might be easier, or a handwritten note. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that way I know hopefully where the email's coming from. Like on social media, you don't know where things are coming from. And at this point in my career, you can't trust everything, you know? So you don't know what people's intentions are. Um, so I try to be low key social media wise, but I, I try to reach out when I can, but there's a lot of messages too that I can't ever get back to because then I'm on my phone all the time and that's not cool either. Handwritten letters. That's that's how we're going to reach out to. Uh, okay, there we go. <laughs> we're going back back in the ages here, <laughs> which is good. That's good. It's good yeah. stuff. Personable. Love it. Put this on you and give. I'm going to interview you. Ooh, you're going to interview me. This is excellent. Who knew a podcast could take such a turn? What was your first question? My first question that I asked of you in the podcast, like, what am I grateful for? Yeah. Uh, today, my father, it is his birthday. Oh, nice. Happy birthday, Dad. Yeah, happy birthday to Jim Cunningham. Love that guy. No, he's been great, a uh, good support system in my life, especially in this field. Like you said, tons of failures, and he's constantly the one, along with my mother, who has to hear about it. So grateful for him today. Yeah, what's your call to action? My call to action is to reach out to a strength coach that you've never spoken to before and build a new connection. Oh, there you go. That's good. Social media is great for that. Yeah. I think connections are super, super important. So what was your biggest failure or one that sticks out in your head? Here we go. I'll give you a story from uh, my days at Kansas interning and Molly put up a Molly McKinnon, now Molly McKinnon Rupp. And it was my job to fill in the blanks with exercises that worked certain muscles or movement patterns. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I could not give her an answer. And she was very, very upset with me. So... I marched my happy butt upstairs onto a bike and I sat there for a little while and she came and we had a discussion and I apologized and I felt like I let her down. And so from there on out, I didn't want to let anybody down, including her, you, who else was there? Brady, Derek, there was a whole different crew when I was there. So, you know, one of my biggest failures was to, besides that, uh, not being prepared for an interview, but I knew that I, if I needed to, um, rise as a professional in any profession you have to be able to public speak and I I think I was 22 years old and um, it was at the uh, New England like strength and conditioning symposium or something and I had to follow Avery Fagenbaum 
Have you ever seen Avery Fagenbaum present? <laughs> I don't know that I've seen him present, but I've heard his name. So I think that <laughs> off the charts. And then as a 22 year old new strength coach, I presented after him and I failed miserably, but I could have not presented the rest of my life and been completely okay with it. But I knew as a professional, and again, it's any profession that you have to be able to stand up in front of people and not explain what you're doing, but give your take on what, you know, how you do things and, and, and be able to defend it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just got my uh, a supplemental thing to my 23andMe genetic test. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was a fear of public speaking genetically. Wow. Right. So after I've probably failed more times public speaking than I've been successful, but um, it's just like playing a game. Right. So you, you put it out there and you're like, OK, do I win this or I lose this one? So um, I'm OK failing now public speaking wise, but I prepare better, a lot better, but you learn that along the way too. That's how I felt going into this podcast. So thanks for being number one. So you just flipped the script on me, but um, (laughs) literally before we got on, I walked around and the interns were like, coach, you need to sit down. Like you're pacing back and forth. I'm like, I'm nervous. Like I'm not going to hit record. Something (laughs) crazy is going to happen. I'm just not going to enjoy the podcast. I don't know. It's just, that's how it works. So I'm sure like, you know, a month down the road, I'll look at this podcast and listen to it and be like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) But that's all right. You know? Yeah. You know, the definition of mental toughness. What's the definition? What's your definition? Um, It's hard. Right. But I asked a neuroscientist one time, this woman gave me her time on the phone. She didn't know me from Adam. But we got to talking in the, the conversation went really, really well. And I said, well, how do you define mental toughness? Because there's so many different ways to define it. Uh-huh. She said, Andrea, I think if you put your best foot forward and you don't hit your goal or you come short of it or you weren't satisfied with it, to be able to come back the next day, forgive yourself Come back the next day and try just as hard, if not harder or better. That's mental toughness. So when she said forgiveness, I was like, wow, that was forgive yourself and come back and do it again. Wow. That's persistence and grit, right? Absolutely. I like it. Oh, it was great. I might, maybe I'll tweet mental toughness out today. <laughs> yes, inspiration from Casey's conversations on Twitter. Yeah. I love it. Love it. So, That's all I got. Thanks so much for joining me. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again and even go more in depth with some things. Thanks for having me.